This morning we are continuing our series on Nehemiah, and um, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, folks from the suburbs and folks from the city, and I want to talk about the idea of home. Um, so let me just pray real quick. We like to pray a lot in these parts, and then I'll catch you up where, to where we're at. Jesus, um, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the freedom that there is in you. And thank you that you want to meet us right where we're at. Jesus, as I share, would you just guide my heart, my mind, my, my lips, Lord? Would you keep my lips from error, Lord? Would you allow me to preach that which is... Um, theologically sound and um, of you, Lord, and for this moment, Lord. Give me a rhema word, a word for this moment, Lord. Um, encourage your people as only you can, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we are at the tail end of a series in the book of Nehemiah, uh, which we started in the spring. It's been that long. Uh, and Every Sunday, I kind of start with a few minutes of just kind of catching us up to where we're at. So Nehemiah was a uh, cupbearer to King Artaxerxes um, in, uh, in Persia. Uh, the people of God had sinned gravely against the Lord, and so they ended up being uh, exiled and ruled by other people. Um, many, many kings and people were just really mean to them. Uh, they were exploited by them. And uh, by the time Nehemiah gets on the scene, uh, the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. Uh, one day he's hanging out at the palace and he asks one of his brothers. It's unclear in the text whether it's his actual brother or whether it's just someone that he called his brother. Um, how is the city of our forefathers, basically? And they said, well, the city lies in ruins. Um, you know, attack after attack after attack, um, and our people are vulnerable, and um, just it's not in good shape. So Nehemiah's heart breaks for his city. In fact, he wasn't even from there. The Bible says that he was from the citadel of Susa, and uh, his heart breaks for the city of his forefathers. And it takes about four months uh, for him to, for the Lord to create an opportunity before the king and for him to share his heart with the king, um, asking the king uh, how he can go over and help. So the king says to him, you know, why is your face like so downcast? Why is your heart so downcast? And Nehemiah says, well, the city of my ancestors lies in ruins. Why wouldn't my face be so downcast? Now imagine, he's speaking to the king, the, the, the highest ranking person of the known world, and in an instant, he could have been chopped down, but yet the Lord uses that moment as a place of mercy and favor. And he says, so what do you need, essentially, in order to change the status of the city of your ancestors? So basically, Nehemiah then asks, he says, listen, can I get a 12-year leave of absence so I can go help and rebuild my city? But on top of that, can I also have a visa to go through all of these towns that are really dangerous to get through? And on top of that, can I just get just a free pass, basically, to your storehouses where all the wood is stored and where all of your materials are stored? So he asks big. He doesn't know if he's going to get a second audience with this king or not. It's one of the first... Uh, uh, instances in scripture where you could say that this man was fundraising 
for the cause that God had called him to. And uh, the king kind of talks with the queen and he, he bows his head and he's like, yeah, go ahead. You can do this. You can take this 12 year leave of absence. So when he, so Nehemiah leaves, when he gets to um, Jerusalem, he kind of gets there by the cover of night and does what he has to do, kind of surveys the city, but immediately he encounters opposition uh, by Tobias and Sambalot and um, Geshem the Arab. And they don't really want things to change. They want the status quo to remain the same. They don't want to forfeit any of their power because they were to some degree kind of like underlords of this misery that was happening in the city of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah knows what God has called him to. Nehemiah has been given permission by the highest authority of the land. And he says, I'm just forging ahead. Kind of like the song we sang this morning. I'm just forging ahead. So they begin to rebuild. The text says that in 52 days, they are done with the physical rebuilding of the city. Then after that happens, they experience a spiritual revival. People are broken. They, they read the Bible from about nine in the morning to about three in the afternoon and they stand the whole time and people break out in song and people begin to understand the scriptures. They uh, understand what the day of atonement is about uh, where a lamb one time a year was sacrificed on their behalf so that their sins could be forgiven. And they understand the weightiness of their sin and the holiness of God. And they see it in a new way. And the Bible says that since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, so basically since Moses' generation, for many, many generations, they had not celebrated this feast in this way. They celebrate the feast of Sukkot, which is the feast of uh, tabernacles or booths uh, that reminded them of the times that God uh, rescued them from uh, the hand of Pharaoh and they spent 40 years in the desert uh, uh, and the Lord provided for them. The, the text says in Nehemiah that their sandals did not wear out, that their feet were not swollen, that the Lord made way for them where there was no way for them. And now in Nehemiah chapter 11, we, this is where we pick up. Pick up. They're in a, in a season of redevelopment. They've rebuilt the city. They've, they have begun to experience revival. They've already begun, last week we taught about uh, Nehemiah 10, where, where they, they're wondering how can we steward this revival, right? And, and continue this thing. And now in Nehemiah chapter 11, they're in this place of redevelopment. How do we repopulate the city? Because although the physical city outside of the city is now better protected than it was before we got here, the inhabitants of the city are still vulnerable to some degree because there aren't many. There aren't men to protect the city. There aren't women to stand up for the city. There are not that many people in there. It wouldn't take a huge army to take the city over once again. And so this is where we pick up here in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in their towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered 
to live in Jerusalem. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So the leaders said, you know what? This is where we're going to stay. This is where we're going to remain. God has called us to Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 or a tithe to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. Why did they have to cast lots or why, you know, it's kind of like rolling dice, right? Because much like today, cities uh, didn't have a huge appeal to people outside of the cities. There's reason why people in the city stay outside of the city, right? In, in Jerusalem, uh, one of the commentaries that I read this week said um, that Jerusalem at this point, it wasn't a trade city. There was no money to be made in the city. Mind you, the city has just gotten rebuilt. The commerce is low. There's no cattle being traded, no corn being traded, right? And, and, and there's no real money to be made in the city. On top of that, the city was weak. The infrastructures were weak, right? You really had to feel called to live in the city in order to be able to stay in the city when it was hard to stay in the city. And so they realized, Nehemiah and the leaders realized that people needed to live in the city in order to accomplish the mission that God had put in the heart of Nehemiah. And so he said, how can we do this fairly? And so they cast lots. And a tithe of the suburbanites, can you guys say suburbanites? That was his strategy, to grab a tithe of the suburbanites to relocate in the city. And they did that. And, it, and, it, and the text here says, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Some of them willingly did it. Some of them perhaps did it reluctantly. When I think of home, think of the word home, right? When, when, when you think of home, uh, for all of us, it might be a little bit different, right? When I think of home, I think of rice and beans and... Uh, uh, my mom's food, always food. Yes. Thanks, Miss Ruth. <laughs> and I, and I think of a, a multicultural setting. Um, I think of being able to walk to most places. I think about being a bus and a train from New York city. When you think of home, you probably think of some smells, of some people, of languages, maybe if you're not, you know, if you have a foreign language that you speak, family, right? And so what the leaders in Nehemiah chapter 11 were asking uh, the, pe the people in the burbs to do was to leave their familiarity, to leave their places of commerce to leave that which was dear to them, that which maybe many generations had built, right? In order to carry out the mission that God had on his heart to rebuild the holy city. It's important that the, that the text says Jerusalem, the holy city. It was the holy city because God had chosen Jerusalem to dwell there. His temple dwelled there. The, the rebuilding of the temple was now just beginning to happen. 
If we remember, if we remember this correctly, um, we said that the rebuilding of the wall was not Nehemiah's primary mission, right? That that was Nehemiah's secondary mission. That Nehemiah's primary mission was to reestablish worship in God as the one true king and Lord of that city, right? Ray Bakke, and I'll be quoting him a bunch today, uh, wrote a book, A Theology as Big as the City. And if you ever have a chance to, uh, to pick up this book, it's amazing. Uh, he has a YouTube channel as well. I'm sure you could find him on YouTube. Uh, and um, he's an urban missiologist out of Chicago who's been at it since the 60s. Um, and he says that we presently live in an anti-urban paradigm. That most people in America want to flee the cities rather than move, the, move into the cities. That people have a disdain for cities because cities is where crime is higher, right? Uh, and there's not that many opportunities for success to some degree. There's more fish in the pond, right? So that means that probability is just math, right? Or lower, you really have to be outstanding to stand out. And so Ray Bakke says that we live in an anti-urban paradigm. But he suggests, and I think correctly, like other missiologists, urban missiologists, what that means is people that study the movement of missions, all right, uh, suggests that Cities are important today because cities are today what back in the day uh, farming communities or rural communities were. They provide jobs for people, right? They provide livelihoods for people, right? That's where people are. And, and the reason, and I said this months ago, is the reason why cities matter is because people matter, right? And cities are densely populated, which means that God has a heart for cities because that's where people are. So moving to cities amplify our reach and amplify our impact. Right? Again, math, right? There's just more people in cities. If God is calling you to a city, chances are that he's trying to enlarge your territory and larger math, right? So that you can have greater impact for the gospel. Check out this quote from Bakim. Missions is no longer about crossing the oceans, jungles, and deserts, but about crossing the streets of the world's cities. From now on, nearly all ministry will be cross-cultural. And the urban Pluralism caused by the greatest migration in human history from southern hemispheres to the north, from east to the west, above all, from rural to urban. Basically, he's saying that the new mission fields are not in rural settings, but that the new mission fields are in the urban settings of the world. There's this other guy, Dr. Tim Keller out of New York, said that a city like Rio de Janeiro and Tokyo Right? Let me put it, in, let me put it in, in, in Philly terms. A city like Philadelphia and 
Tokyo have more in common than the city of Philadelphia and Scranton. Right? Does that make sense? He says that the culture of a city like Philadelphia and the culture of a city like Rio de Janeiro or Tokyo have more in common the fast pace, the amount of people that are mixing and mingling, all the sorts of different things that are happening there. So look beyond the, the, the language barrier, all right? If you could just look beyond the language barrier and maybe just, you know, some, 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 some skin tones Say, does this culture reflect this culture more so than, you know, a, a semi-urban or a, a rural community has more in common with the city of Philadelphia? Does that make sense? So you as urban people, those of you who are urban, um, the Lord has uniquely shaped you and placed you to be missionaries to other urban places. If that's what the Lord is calling you to, right? Because today's mission fields are not in the bush, right? Not that the, there's a lot of people in the bush that still need evangelization, but, but by, by and large, a, a lot of the people that still need to hear about Jesus are living in cities. Not only that, but a lot of the people that are still in need of hearing Jesus are coming to, coming to cities. The lower Northeast is the most multicultural place and, and growing so um, in all of Philadelphia. So how do we engage the multiculturalness, all right, poetic license, right, of uh, the folks that are in the city of Philadelphia? And how do we do that with the heart of God? Some of us think that, you know, if we just pray that the Lord will reach the nations. I'll send it to you, Loretta. Some of us pray, think, you know, well, let's just pray that God will reach, you know, uh, these people that don't know him. Or let's just pray for the homeless guy, you know. And God is more than just about prayer. If I can remember correctly, Exodus chapter 14, uh, Moses has Pharaoh behind him. He has the Red Sea before him. And the people start praying. And Moses starts praying. And the Lord clearly says to him, stop praying. Put your rod towards the sea. So take some action. And then the, sits, and then the, the, the seas split. So there's a time for prayer. And then there's a time for action. Nehemiah in, in, in Nehemiah 11 verses 1 and 2 uh, is proactive about asking people to move into the city. So it's more than just prayer, it's prayer and re relocation. Ray Baki again. While prayer is right and critical for a city's survival, it can never be a substitute for the conscious relocation of Christians to set up residency and witness in the midst of the evil. Now, what Ray Bakke is not saying, and, and you probably don't know this because you haven't read the entire book, that cities are inherently evil. That's not what he's saying, okay? But a lot of messed up things happen in city because math, right? There's more people, right? 
And there's more probability and then people are closer together. You know, in one square mile of where you're at right now, there's 35,000 people. Within one square mile of where we're at right now. So if I see you every day and you are grumpy and I don't like to be taken advantage of or I don't like the way that you park your car in front of my house, I'm only going to tell you like two or three times until it might get ugly. But if I'm perhaps in a rural setting, that's not an issue that I'm dealing with. Because you could park anywhere. You make your own parking spot, right? Your probability of mixing and mingling with people is so much less. Your probability in a rural setting, like the setting that my wife grew up in, not, she wasn't in a rural setting, but in Vermont, in her state, you have a larger probability of running into cows than you have in running into people. I think in Vermont, cows outnumber people seven to one. I could be wrong. <laughs> so, but if you're running into people all the time, just math, right? And I'm not that good at math, right? But the probability of something happening is just that much higher. So I love what Baki says here about the need for people to relocate, like Nehemiah asks at the beginning of chapter 11, um, for people to heavily consider or move when God says move. Now, this is what I'm not asking you to do, all right? I would love all of you suburban folks and rural folks, all right, because I know we got both in the house this morning, uh, to move to, to Philly. But I also love that he only, that Nehemiah only recommends one out of every 10 people to do so, all right? He asked for a tithe of, of, of that to happen. Now, a relocation of the tithe is enough. Rural people need to hear about Jesus too. Suburban people need to hear about Jesus too. Right? So he says, a tithe is just enough. And I love this, this quote here. He says, a tithe or 10%, a tithe or a 10% solution is enough. If you relocate more than that, you'll intimidate the neighbors and probably gentrify the neighborhood thereby displacing the very people you've come to help. And I think we see that sometimes, right? The displacement of, of people who grown up in the city and say, you know, gentrification is a real thing. We're wrestling with it here in Philadelphia, down Northern Liberties, Fishtown area, uh, other parts of North Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, right? Are you with me? And um, I think it's clear that ne Nehemiah, for, for some reason, other than the fact that the Lord just loves 10%, right? Says, you know, I only need 10%. 10% 10, 10 solid people that will move into the city and say, you know what? I have access to resources. I have relationships outside of this city. I can do things that people in this city, just because of math, would not be able to do. I've been given opportunities and I can build bridges for the, for the glory and the kingdom of God. Amen?
Are you guys following me? Are you with me? All right, you're really quiet today. So I feel like I'm in a classroom kind of, but this is church. All right. All right, you're listening. This is good. All right. Any questions so far? I think we're in a small, small enough setting that we could do that. Go ahead. Nice. Thanks for asking. All right. Uh, so we talk about, when we talk about gentrification, it's a sociological concept where, and different people might define this differently, but I'll just say this. People move into, say, like a blighted part of the city. Um, and, you know, initially a lot of times what happens is folks have really good uh, motives, right? And, um, and they, they want to transform the city. But then what ends up happening is the people that are native to that part of town a lot of times are displaced because it's hard for people to leave their comfort um, behind when they move to a new place. So when folks move to a new place, uh, a lot of times they bring their comforts with them. But what ends up happening when folks bring their comforts with them, uh, the folks that are native to that place, a lot of times can't afford those comforts. And to some degree, some folks say, well, there's two ways of looking at it. Say, well, that's good. The neighborhood, you know, really moved up. There's less boarded up homes in that neighborhood, right? Coffee shops are popping up all over the place. You know what? I go to those coffee shops. But the flip side of that is that the people that are native to those neighborhoods can't afford to go to those coffee shops, right? And uh, the taxes are now higher, so they can't afford to live there. And a lot of times, actually here where you're at right now with Sonoming and the lower Northeast, Mayfair, you know, the new Kensington, right, is where folks end up moving to, right? And, and, and we have a lot of stories where, well, I grew up in Kensington, right? And that's where it happened. And, and we're glad because the Lord has positioned us uniquely in Wisnoming to kind of bear the transition and be effective for the gospel. I don't know. I'm a preacher. I went off on that. So <laughs> does that make sense? Okay. Anybody else? Good? All right. So kind of the, the, the last point that I want to drive home here is that um, regardless of where we're at, we're representatives of, of the new Jerusalem. As believers, we're representatives of the new Jerusalem, right? Regardless of what your zip code is, regardless of where your zip code is, Right? That God has called us to be representatives of the new Jerusalem. What do I mean when I say that? That one day, uh, God's kingdom will come in his fullness. And right now we are in the here but not yet place of tension. That the kingdom of God is here. We have access. We see it. We pray for people. They get healed. Right? We, we, we see the good works of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is with us. But one day it will be here in its fullness. And that we are emissaries of God's love. And that we are representatives of the kingdom that is to come. As the Lord allows that. I'm from Hempstead, New York. Right? And some days I'm like, hey, I, I represent Hempstead. 
And some days, that just sounds so lame. Because Hempstead don't represent me. Now I love Hempstead. In fact, my AOL name used to be, I am Hempstead. Weirdo. How are you, Hempstead? 90,000 people. 70,000 people. 20,000 undocumented. So 90,000. Wherever you are, we're called to be representatives of the new city. To bring the kingdom of God wherever we're at. To bring the glory of God wherever we're at. To share the love of Christ wherever we're at. So whether God calls us to the city from the suburbs or to the suburbs from the city, the end goal is the same. That we live our lives now. Everybody say now. now. To the glory of God as representatives of the new Jerusalem. The scriptures talk about this concept of home. And I've been here in Philly now seven years, right? And, and, and many nights I've felt homesick. And there's just longing for home. I wanted to, and some of you won't get this unless you've ever been to El Salvador or have some El Salvadorian friends. And I'm not from El Salvador, but I grew up with a bunch of Salvadorians. Some days I just wanted to go out and get a pupusa, which was a Salvadorian kind of snack meal. Some days I just wanted some good rice and beans that wasn't Freddy's and Tony's, which I love on 2nd and Allegheny. Right? Some days I wanted to go to the Chinese store at 1230 at night. But it was closed. And there was this longing for home. Some days I just wanted to hang out with my friend and just kick it. But he was far. Right? And there's this longing for home. Anybody else felt that way? Just homesick? But I think as believers... We're travelers. The Bible says that we're just passerbyers. And the more I'm away from home, the more I realize that home is just this idea that my home is in Christ. Right? And that my true citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews 13, 14 says this, for here, here on earth, right? We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, talking about the new Jerusalem. We seek to establish the city that is to come. We seek to bring the kingdom of God on earth wherever the Lord has placed us. I love the way the NLT version says it. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. So while we live in the now and the not yet, right? While we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. If you have ever felt homesick, I hate to break it to you, but that's probably not going to go away. Because the Lord is calling you to live in that tension and to embrace that tension and on the bad days to cry it out. 
to call somebody, to text somebody, to develop new relationships and not try to duplicate old ones. You with me? And ultimately, like I said earlier, our true home, ultimately our true home is in Christ. And home can be wherever you are right now. Jesus said this, abide, remain, or live in me and die in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides or lives or remains or finds its home in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide or live or remain or find your home in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains, lives, or finds his or her home in me and I in him or her, he or she will be that bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So wherever you are, I could be home. While we, while we live in this tension of the now and the not yet, and, and in the homesickness of the now and the not yet. Because some of us are longing for the next, right? Some of us are, are longing for when we go and be with Jesus. Like our lives right now are really tough. And so you're saying, I don't want to go back. I want to go be with my Lord. But that's for him to determine. So while you're in the tension of the now and the not yet, we're called to be representatives yeah. of the new Jerusalem, yeah. our future home forever and ever. Amen? Amen. I would be irresponsible to the text, I think. If I w w were not to challenge a tithe of you to move into the city, I think I could be wrong. Now, looking at this room, and I have uh, relationships with most most of you here. I've got all sorts of lisp and accents happening this morning. Uh, <laughs> I see folks that moved out from a more kind of rural setting, right? Yeah, chickens. Yeah, chickens. More chickens than people. I see folks that moved out from Reading, you know, and I see, I see folks that drive from South Jersey, right? All over the place, right? Folks that are coming from Langhorn, you know? I feel like God has brought you here on purpose, with a purpose. And I would say, would you consider and pray about moving to a city because that's where the Lord multiplies our impact. 
I, w- I sure wish it's Philly. Right? Because we need faithful laborers here. But would you consider moving to a city that God is calling you to? Let me flip that real quick. If you're from Philly, I hope you're working hard in Philly and trusting the Lord to bring the kingdom of God to Philly and being a representative of the new Jerusalem in Philly. But discern whether or not God has put you in Philly for a season to shape you, to chisel you, to send you out to another city to have great impact for the gospel. I don't know. I just want to ask those questions. Amen? I want to close in a little bit, um, but I, I want to leave some room for questions. Any, anybody else? Is questions or just points? Maybe the Lord's stirring something up in you. Yeah. Um, so the question is like someone who's, you know, made their life in the city and it's been rough for them. They're wrestling with addiction and they want to move away from what people in the program, the AA or NA say, people, places and things. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so they want to move in the middle of nowhere. And I'll tell you what I found. So my background is in drug and alcohol and mental health. And so I was a social worker before I, I was a pastor, a social worker. Um, the, what I found is you take you with you. You know, like that's and, and then and, and middle America or somewhere in the sticks, they got the same problems, too. You know, and that's that's what I found. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. I would think you take it up. I, I would think you take that up with Jesus and you say, Lord, and you, and, you, and you seek wise counsel from people that you trust and people that will ask you hard questions. You know, people that will ask you the hard questions that say, like, what are your real motives behind this? Are you running from something? Right. And that's the question. It's like, you know, especially people in recovery, we, we run from stuff, you know, a lot of times, you know, so. So the so have people in your life that are um, uh, people full of wisdom. What does scripture say, you know, and then you discern that stuff together. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, to answer that question, I've been an addict, but I haven't been for 49 years. And I feel like I don't have to be the city. I stay here where I live, I was born and raised in So I'm staying here. And whatever God called me to do, whatever was in the city, then I'll be just there. As far as moving into the city, you can't go there. Some, some city people ain't moving. They, you know, they will never leave the city. And, and so regardless of what their background is. Anybody else? Is May here? Guys, can we sing in Christ alone? Can we wrap up with that? So that's my challenge to you guys this morning. Um, 
I see a lot of people from the suburbs this morning. I don't know. And remember, it's just math. So if there's 10 people from the suburbs, God wants one. All right. So some of if there's 20, he wants two. Right. Perhaps. All right. Take that between you and Jesus. All right. Don't say Luis told me now you're homeless. You don't know where to go. You take the correct steps to discern what God has for you next. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand.